You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Well, good morning. Great to be together. Uh, We have been spending time camped out the last few weeks in Genesis 1 to 3. And we have been in this part of Scripture exploring questions around identity. Who are we? What are we? Why are we? And we've highlighted the fact that a a very popular narrative says to us in response to that question, we don't know. We don't know who you are, what you are, or why you are. But you can discover and determine that for yourself. And how that sounds so nice, but it comes up a little empty, right? But Scripture gives us this beautiful statement about who, what, and why we are, that you are made in the image and likeness of God. To partner with Him in developing the world and cultivating the goodness that He put into it already. That's who you are. So we talked, we opened this up a few weeks ago, and then we had my like three sermon in one week, I know, uh, that was all about like how the, how the enemy tries to lead us away from that. And last week we looked at the power of our words. That being made in God's image, who, who spoke the world into existence, that there's power in our words. Well, this week, I want us to look into Genesis 2. We're going to read verses 4 to 9 and then jump into 15. So I'm just going to read this in just a second. I'm going to pray before I do, and then we will uh, we'll carry on from here. So, Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the revelation and the wisdom and the insight and the helpfulness of them. Father, we thank you for the reliability of them, that we can lean upon them, that we can trust in them, that they make sense of life and the world around us. And I ask for your word to, to speak to us, that more than my voice, that your voice would be heard in this time, in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. It was a little quiet during announcements, so I'm like, give me, give me some of those amens. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Does that make anybody feel good? God breathed into him. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. 
Jumping to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. What I want to focus on this morning is mainly these two components that we see in verse 7, I believe. God formed the man out of dust. He was of the earth. And then he breathed into him the breath of life. He's also of heaven. See, from the beginning, human beings are this unique display of heaven and earth combined. That's who you are. You're a special blend of creation and the divine with a special purpose in the earth to be fruitful and multiply and fill it, subdue it, have dominion, work it, cultivate it, care for it. That's who you are. God's intention, as Scripture shows us, is to fill the earth with his glory. How does he do that? He fills it with people. The first command, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. We talked about that in length a few weeks ago. But your original design is this manifestation of heaven and earth together. You know, we're cre- we are created like the animals. We're actually created on the same day, it says. But we're different. God breathed into us the breath of life. There's a uniqueness about human beings. We have a more advanced, if you will, conscience and morality about us. That is the divine nature within us. That reasons and looks at that which is good, seeks to understand that which is good. Not just for ourselves, but also for the world around us, also for others. That is unique. Remember, we're placed in this earth as these cultivators of the goodness. We can actually look around us and assess that which needs improvement, that which needs to be bettered. It's this combination of part of the natural creation and also divine nature that is unique about us. Are you with me? There's a popular narrative out there that would say there is nothing unique about you. You are just another animal. Very popular. But when we approach life and the world from that narrative that you are nothing more than any other animal species on the planet, you have some questions to answer. And one of the biggest ones is this question of morality, conscience, 
Where does it come from? Why do we have it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from you, for you, sorry, I'm going to read for you an excerpt from something I read by someone who was wrestling with this question or seeking to answer it. Um, Elijah, you can put it up there. And the, the title of this article, it was in the New York Times, March 6, 2017. The title of it, If We Are Not Just Animals, What Are We? By Roger Scruton. I don't know if I said his name right. But, uh, but I, I could just paraphrase it for you, but I actually want to read it because I don't like coming up here and sharing someone else's perspective and just paraphrasing it and potentially not doing it justice. I'd rather let it speak for itself. But I will bring you up to speed. The context is, is here he is defending the idea that evolutionary psychologists would argue that morality is simply an evolutionary adaptation. Are you with me? The idea is that morality that we sense and feel as people is simply an evolutionary adaptation, okay? Something that our ancestors realized was, you know, somehow in their DNA began to recognize would be good for them and good for their survival, okay? Here's how, here's how the argument goes. Is it up there? Okay, follow along. I'll read it quick. If organisms compete for resources, then a strategy of cooperation will be more successful in the long run than a strategy of pure selfishness. Hence, cooperative features of an organism will be selected over time. And all that is special in the human condition can be understood in this way as the outcome of a long process of adaptation. The astonishing moral equipment of the human being, including rights and duties, personal obligations, justice, resentment, judgment, forgiveness, is the deposit left by millenniums of conflict. Morality is like a field of flowers beneath which the corpses are piled in a thousand layers. It is an evolved mechanism whereby the human organism proceeds through life sustained on every side by bonds of mutual interest. Did I lose you entirely? Paraphrase. The reason morals exist within us is because of generations of war and conflict and death and violence has helped us to realize that we're better off when we cooperate with each other versus compete with one another. And the thing that helps us survive is bonds of mutual interest. In other words, if you help me, I'll help you. Right? The only the trouble I have with this perspective is that this thi- line of thought, the only way it could account for the violence and the evil that people still do to one another in the world is that some are further evolved than others. Some inferior, some superior. And if you follow the evolutionary principle, what must the superior do to the inferior? Eliminate them. 
or replace them. Only the strong survive. The Bible says otherwise. Let's get back to the Bible because it's way better. It's way better. The Bible says you're all created in the image of God. Therefore, you all have value. You all have worth. You are all worthy of dignity and honor. Whether I agree with you, whether I like you, whether we get along, whether you can help me or not, you are worthy of honor and value because you're made in the image of God. Oh, I love it, guys. I love those amens. There is a moral law outside of you, above you, beyond you. And according to Jesus, the essence of that moral law is love. Love that is best seen and expressed through laying down your life for others' good, even the good of your enemies. Far superior to bonds of mutual interest. You see the contrast in the in the evolutionary narrative. Your primary purpose is survival. You're very self-centered. But according to the biblical narrative, your primary purpose is flourishing. And the flourishing of the world around you, through you. He put him in the garden to work it and cultivate it. Or another common that I won't dive deeply into, but is the idea that you're this two-part dualistic being. One part of you like animal, the other part of you rational person, and that the whole point of life is for that rational person to transcend from the animal. It's a platonic view from Plato. But in God's story, creation is good. Your flesh, this body, the animal, if you will, is good. And it's about the integration of spirit, soul, and body. And that in the integration of the divine and the created, that good comes. You see, remember we looked in Genesis 3 a couple weeks ago. The enemy's whole scheme is to lead you away from God because detachment from God is detachment from purpose. Detachment from God leads to decay and death and diminishment. But union with God is life. And flourishing and growth. When we live in union with God, we naturally, naturally, it comes from us. When we live in union with God, we naturally work for the good of others in the world around us. That's right, you can't help it. It's who He is, it's what He's like. The human being is placed here on earth as as the place. You are the place where heaven meets earth. That's who you are. 
You're the place where heaven and earth are held together. I want to ask you a question. What has historically been viewed as the place where heaven and earth intersect? The temple. Throughout history, believed the place where heaven and earth intersect is the temple. It's the place where heaven and earth are held together. And remember, he formed man from the dust, and then what did he do? Breathed into him. Does anybody remember at the end of Exodus, or in 2 Kings as well, what happened when the tabernacle in Moses' time was completed, or when the temple in Solomon's time was completed? What happened? Come on, I've got some people who read their Bibles in here. What happened when the temple and the tabernacle were completed? It was filled with the presence and the glory of God. They build the temple and the presence and the glory of God pours in. He formed the man from the dust and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You're a temple. You are a temple of the living God. Paul, you having trouble over there? I don't know what everybody's laughing about. <laughs> Sorry to draw attention, Paul. Didn't mean to do that. All right. So what sort of things took place at the temple? Worship and sacrifice, which were mainly centered around Forgiveness, reconciliation between God and man, reconciliation between the created order and the divine. Now, there's somebody we really like around here, we read a lot about in Scripture, who really understood himself to be the temple of God on the earth. Can I get a guess who I'm talking about? Yes. A plus, gold star. Jesus. Jesus understood himself to be the intersection between heaven and earth. The place where heaven and earth are held together. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. Actual word is tabernacled among us. Wow. What happened wherever the temple of God, Jesus, would go? Healing, revival, forgiveness, breakthrough, prophecy, restoration. He calmed the seas with his words. He multiplied food to feed the hungry. He opened blind eyes. He drove out and away demonic oppression. He raised the dead. He went around everywhere saying, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And he knew he could say that because anywhere he went, the kingdom of God had come near. 
And essentially, when Jesus showed up, it's like, this is what it looks like where God is king. This is what it looks like when heaven touches earth. And he had this really kind of controversial thing about him. He hung out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers. But there's some really profound things in this temple of God, man, Jesus. One of them being what happened when he got near lepers. Lepers were considered impure. You touch a leper, you're defiled. When Jesus touched a leper, he wasn't defiled. They were cleansed. But you want to know what was the most controversial of all Jesus' ministry? Forgiveness of sins. Many of you maybe remember the story in Mark 2 where he heals the paralytic. And he, before he even heals the guy, he tells, like, obviously he wants to be healed of the fact he can't walk. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees freak out out. They are angry about this. Why was it so controversial that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven? Because that was something that was to only happen at the temple. You had to come to the temple with your sacrifice and offer it and then receive forgiveness only at the temple through the ministry of the priest. And Jesus is walking around acting like the temple. And it makes sense that they were appalled and didn't get it. Imagine one of you pretending to be the DMV. And you walk up to a 16-year-old and you go, I hereby declare you licensed to operate a vehicle. You'll be like, yo, you got to go to the DMV for that. No, you have a test you have to take, like, Right? People would laugh at you. But forgiveness is a God to humanity and a human to human affair. And you see, Jesus' logic is that if I have authority to forgive sin, I have authority to restore all of creation that's been affected by sin. As he could speak to the storm, he could touch the leper, he could do all the things we already said. He understood that what one would need to go to the temple for, they could now come to him for. But he didn't just wait for them to come to him, he went to them. He brought the temple to the streets, he brought the temple to the people. He brought the temple to the people who weren't going to the temple. There's a lot of people in our city who will not come here. Who will go? Who will take the temple? Who will bring heaven to earth in Victoria? Come to the microchurch's idea night on Wednesday. I'm serious, 100%. Now here's where it gets deep. If it wasn't already. What we're going to do, we're going to read a scripture to see how it gets deep, okay? As I read this scripture, 
I want you to um, see in it the profound truth that is there, but also um, see the parallel with Genesis 2 that we read earlier, okay? John 20, verse 21 to 23, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he appears to his disciples, and it says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's profound. Now look at this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says after that. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As the Father sent me, Jesus, I am sending you into the world. (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive their sins, they will not be forgiven. There's this, like, vested authority. There's this, this, this temple reality that John talked about in chapter 1 that I read mentioned earlier, right? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, tabernacle among us. And now near the end of the book, John shows us where Jesus is transferring. He's passing the baton. Tag, you're it. As I was sent, now your turn to go. You've got the Holy Spirit with you. You've got the authority to function like a temple in the earth. You're authorized. You are authorized by Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower, you are authorized to walk the earth as temples for the priestly ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. That is who you are. You're appointed to be where heaven and earth intersect where heaven and earth come together. It's not something we just pray for to happen out there. It's something that happens in us and through us and around us. So what does it look like? Maybe before I go into that question, I just brought this up here, one, because I like to drink water, and I'm going to take a drink. Zoom in, little more plug here. Uh, this water ball, this water bottle, it's not a water ball, it's a water bottle. This water bottle only fulfills its purpose when it's got water in it. And that water pours into my mouth and hydrates my body. Or maybe occasionally it pours into a plant or helps my dog get some water, things like that. But my point is, we fulfill our purpose by being filled with the Spirit and pouring it out in the earth. 
What does it look like? When temples, you and I, go about the earth, manifesting heaven. Looks like Cliff Power rolling out a barbecue and Blanchard Courts and making hot dogs and gathering kids around. You met, how many remember Starla's story when she stood up here crying about the way God pulled her into his family through Cliff going out and making hot dogs in Blanchard Courts? It looks like Lucas being an educational assistant up, assistant up at the tribal school when he was here before COVID hit and all that. It looks like Young Life. I know we got Young Life people in here. It looks like Young Life being in schools around our city, developing relationship with students. Or maybe it's the way you do your business. Maybe it's the way you run Villamar. Shout out to Dan Schutze in the back there. And Michael, wherever you are. And all the Villamar team. Maybe it's the way you run Level Ground Coffee. Or Author Clothing. Or name another business here represented in this church. Maybe it looks like grabbing a cripple by the hand and taking him for a walk, like I got to do in 2007. Maybe it looks like hanging out on Pandora with people who are battling addiction and mental health issues. And it definitely, definitely, definitely looks like forgiveness. Something our society really needs. But if you are asking that question, what does it look like to be temples expressing heaven on earth in Victoria? I honestly am inviting you, come Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m., hospitality room, and hear of the ideas and the dreams of what that might look like that are bubbling up within the people of your church family. You might not be called to lead something. You might hear something that you feel inclined to support and be a part of and join. But what I can tell you is you are the place where heaven's to meet earth. You know, I just want to kind of maybe sort of move to an end here and close on this idea, though, that the primary expression that we see Jesus manifesting as heaven on earth, it was so controversial, is this idea of forgiveness. And all the other stuff we talk about, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, healing the sick, raising the dead, running these businesses that are changing the world, on and on and on. They all flow from that place. Sin's forgiven. The world needs a people who manifest forgiveness, grace, mercy, reconciliation. Our nation and our society is being plagued with division. We're called to be a people of reconciliation. And I truly believe, listen to me on this, okay? I truly believe that we are in a season of great harvest. You see, because when a person, this is my story, when I turned 18, I got sick of being addicted to alcohol. 
It almost took my life multiple times, and I was disillusioned by what I was engaging with, and I saw a greater beauty and purpose in the person of Jesus, and I surrendered my life to him in that moment. I will say this to you, that, that on mass, I believe that when culture is disillusioned with the culture itself and sees the beauty of Jesus, masses of people will run to him. But it will only happen as we, the temples, manifest heaven on earth. And in this season where we're being so tempted to take the bait of bitterness and offense and division, we have to be a people marked by grace and mercy and forgiveness, the work of the cross. How do we increase the manifestation of heaven's culture around us? How do we do that? We increase the manifestation of heaven's culture around us by increasing the cultivation of it within us. And it's a painful way to live. We'll end on a really encouraging note. But it is. But it's also worth it. Because it's painful because when you live connected to the earth, you feel the brokenness and the pain of it. And at the same time, you live connected to heaven and you see the beauty and the glory of what's intended for us. And you live in the tension of the two. The culmination of that in the ultimate expression of the kingdom was a crucifixion. Jesus gave his life on a cross. When heaven and earth met, it met at a cross. But we know the story doesn't end there rose from the dead. Heaven will always prevail. Lepers will be cleansed. Sins forgiven. Earth restored. We get to be those people living as intersections between heaven and earth. So may we today, however necessary, we're going we're gonna to receive communion here. I want to encourage you. Let us repent from fellowship with the wrong spirits. And I ask the Lord to make it specific to you what that may look like. But I can tell you this, it may look like a little less media and a lot more scripture. It might look like just sitting there, just let's just even do it right now, considering the message, and let's just take a deep breath. I breathe you in. Sure, Shark, come up, play. So you receive communion. might look like turning on a worship song that's really 
It, yeah, it might look like talking to a friend about the gospel or about encounters with God that you've had. But we're going we're gonna to receive this right now. And I also want to encourage you guys after, maybe even during, be open for the Lord to heal your body, for the Lord to set you free from, as Kelly put it, um, negative thought patterns, perpetual behaviors, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Breathe in this place. Have your way among us as we meditate on the glory and the beauty of the cross of Jesus. As we hold this wafer, we say this is your body, the body of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us that we might see you, that we might know you and that in that process he allowed that body to be whipped, to be beaten, to be crucified for us. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemy. So meditate on who you are and your ways right now, Jesus. I say to you, church, Jesus' body given for you. Take and eat. Lord, we thank you that your blood was poured out for us for the complete remission and forgiveness of sin and all that comes with it. We believe now for cleansing to happen in this place and each heart open to receive. Jesus' blood shed for you, take and drink. I want to encourage you this week as you go through your week. Just take a moment. Whenever you feel the need, take a deep breath. Remember who gave it to you. Remember what it represents. I bless you to go about the city of Victoria as intersections between heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.